The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I'd, I'd like to start my sermon this morning with a quote from one of my favorite theologians. And that theologian is Don Draper. Yes, Mad Men's Don Draper. Don Draper said that advertising is based on one thing. Guess what that is? Happiness. Advertising is based on, on one thing, happiness. You and I both know, I don't need to tell you, that we are constantly bombarded with images, stories, and ideologies all, all promising us what? Happiness. Yeah, peace. Joy. I, I think it's good to be reminded once again that Lexus, Patagonia, Peloton, Amazon, Apple, the GOP, and the DNC are all in the happiness business. The happiness business. Um, your run-of-the-mill social media influencer is in the happiness business. Uh, because if you look beneath all of our differences, which, you know, at this time our, our differences can constantly be put before us, right? But, but if you look beneath that, I think you will find that everybody is longing, is searching, is desiring the same thing. And that's, that's deep happiness and joy. It's, it's, human, it's human flourishing. It's something that we all want. And it's not inherently a bad thing. It's not. So if you were here last week, then you know that we started a new series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're beginning the series by tackling the Beatitudes one at a time. Each Beatitude deserves its own sermon, or several sermons actually. Uh, but last week, Jonathan opened up the series by talking about the nature and the purpose of the Beatitudes. So let's start with some important recap. Right? What is a Beatitude? Yeah, I'm looking at you, you Sunday school veterans. Right? I mean, even those of us that are familiar with the Beatitudes and, and have studied them, that can be a hard question to answer. What is a Beatitude? Is it a blessing that we get from God? Is it a promise that if you do blank, then God will bless you? The Beatitudes are invitations into an abundant life of deep joy and flourishing in Christ. They offer us an invitation. They, they paint a picture for us. They give us a, a visual of what happiness and flourishing looks like. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the Beatitudes in, invite you and I to reorient ourselves in the world. The Beatitudes offer us this morning to, to consider together what is the good life? How is that to be found? What is the good life in light of God's coming kingdom. So as Jonathan said last week, I think, and I think this can help us in regards to interpreting the Beatitudes, I think a better translation than blessed 
is insert truly joyful instead. Or insert uh, the word flourishing. Right? So, so think truly joyful are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you see that in the midst of all of these stories and all of these images that we're getting from the world around us to try to show us what the good life is, what, what happiness is, what deep joy is, Jesus here is presenting his picture. He's presenting his image and he's inviting us to contemplate that, to see that. So that we may have what? Deep happiness. That we may be a people of deep happiness. Okay, so uh, today we're going to focus in on the second beatitude. Blessed or truly joyful are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Okay, so with the rest of our time this morning, I really just want to ask two questions. And I want us to think through these two questions together in light of the text. And that is, one, who are the mourners here that Jesus is talking about? Who are the mourners? And then two, why are they truly joyful? Why are they truly joyful? Why did they flourish? Okay, so let's take a moment of time. First, who are the mourners that Jesus is talking about here? I had a professor tell me once, and I think I've said this before, I'm getting old, I forget what I I say and don't say in sermons, this is not boding well for my future, but I had a professor say something that was so helpful, and he said that the scriptures are the the speaking voice of God, And, and the scriptures always speak truthfully, correctly, okay, the scriptures. And then he said that the church, in all of its history, is the listening ear, hmm, the listening ear. So there are times where the church hears incorrectly, right? But there are moments where the church hears the word of God correctly. And so therefore, as we look to the past, as we look to those saints who have gone before us, we do so acknowledging that at times they've heard incorrectly, right? And we can correct that in light of what? The word, hearing the voice of God. But then we notice that at other times they've heard correctly. And so we can learn from them. And so, as I was studying for this passage, I found that the medieval theologian, Thomas Aquinas, is a really helpful guide to understanding who the mourners are, what type of mourning Jesus is is talking about here. So he distinguishes between three types of mourning. And so for our purposes this morning, I just want to draw out two of them. So, So first, Aquinas writes about those who mourn because an awareness of their own brokenness and the brokenness of others. Those who mourn because of an awareness of their own brokenness and the brokenness of, of others. Think about the Old Testament prophets with me for a second. They were acquainted with grief, and in more times than not, it's as they looked upon the brokenness of the people of God. So Jeremiah was defined by mourning and grieving. Uh, Is that something that you want to be defined by? Mourning and grieving? We see Ezra spend the night neither eating nor drinking, uh, for he was mourning over what? 
the faithlessness of the people of God. In Christ's very own ministry, we see him weep over who? Jerusalem. Because he sees the direction that it's going, and it's not good. I can remember having a conversation recently with a member of this church, and right before our meeting, they just read an article about another horrific failure in the church, and it led them to tears. And they looked at me and they said, Brad, I'm just so heartbroken for the church. And I, I didn't know what else to do but to mourn with them. Have you been there? Have you been in that place where you're completely devastated as you look at the church around you? Here's the reality. To, to walk faithfully in this life with Jesus means being attuned to the way that things are broken in this world. And that will mean that you have not a self-righteousness, not a pride, not a sense of superiority, but it will mean sorrow. And it will mean mourning for the devastation of living in a fallen world. Right? But Aquinas says that it's, it's not just sorrow over the brokenness that we see around us in the world, but it, it's sorrow because of the brokenness that we see in, in ourselves. Think 2 Corinthians with me, where Paul says that there's a godly grief that produces a repentance that leads to salvation. So what's Paul talking about here? Paul is talking about a, a type of sorrow, a, a type of grief that comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Think, think James 4, right? It's, it's a pretty startling passage when you read it. But James essentially says that there are those who are taking their sin lightly, and it's displayed by their laughter. But they don't need to be taking their sin lightly. They need to be repenting. And that needs to be shown outwardly through what? Mourning. Sorrow. This is not a sorrow that comes from being shamed. This is not a sorrow that comes from self-loathing. This is not a sorrow that comes from having no hope. This is a sorrow that comes from conviction. This is a sorrow that comes when God shows us reality. And this can be a hard sorrow to sit with. At times, in, a, in my, my own marriage, my wife and I will be in a fight. I know you think that we don't fight because we're perfect. I know that. I know you think that. But we do occasionally. And there are moments where, as I reflect on my anger in the moment, I realize that I'm so angry because I've hurt her. <laughs> I, I've wronged her. And so instead of being able to admit that and confess that to her in the moment, I just get angry, okay? Um, but can I be uh, Counselor Brad here for a second? If, if anger is an iceberg, you have the tip of the iceberg of anger, and beneath there's all these emotions beneath, and what's beneath the iceberg of anger? Sorrow. <laughs> I realize I am 
so sorrowful because I hurt someone that I deeply care about, right? To be in that place where there is an awareness of the reality that you have hurt others and you have contributed to the brokenness of the world is a really hard place to be. It's a really hard place to be. It's not an easy place to be. Each, each Sunday, we come together as a body, and we just did it. We confess our sins together, right? Uh, corporately. And I, I can remember I was talking to someone about this, and they said, ah, at the beginning of the service, it just kind of feels like a funeral. And I was like, huh, okay. A part of me was like, I, I kind of think that says more about your own church background than it says what we're doing. That was probably the defensive part of me, right? Uh, but another part of me thought, you know what? I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> I'm kind of okay with there being space in a service where we can come together and we can have sorrow over the ways in which we've contributed to the brokenness of this world. Okay. So first, Aquinas says that the, the type of mourning here is a mourning that comes from seeing the brokenness in the world, yeah, and then and seeing our own brokenness. Secondly, he says that um, Jesus speaks of a grief, a, a grief, a mourning that comes when the disciple of Jesus takes up their cross and dies to this world. There's a grief that's a, a sorrow that comes when the disciple of Jesus Christ takes up their cross and dies to the things of this world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer might say this is a sorrow that comes from the cost of discipleship. Um, if you can remember, if you can remember this, I'll be really impressed. But but last week, Jonathan said that verse eleven kind of casts its shadow backwards on the list of Beatitudes. It, it shapes how we interpret all the Beatitudes, right? So think about the end of the movie, and there's this shocking revelation, and then you look back at the movie, and now you interpret the whole movie differently, right? You get that? That's kind of what's happening here, right? It's like, oh my gosh, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time, right? And that's the horror film, you know, it's the, you know, we all know what Sunday it is, a little nod. Um, but, yeah, it shapes the way you view the movie that's come, it's the sixth sense. Some of you are looking around very confused. If you don't, it's, it's you know, a shocking ending. If you don't know that, that was 1999, I'm sorry, that's not on me, okay? It's, it's not. Um, what was I talking about? Yes, verse 11. It shapes how we interpret the Beatitudes, Right? Well, what's going on in verse 11? What are the themes there? It's persecution and it's misrepresentation. All for, for doing what? Being associated with Jesus. All for being associated with Jesus. So I think it's safe to say here that Jesus is talking about a type of mourning that comes with persecution for carrying the name of Christ. This is not a persecution for being a jerk. This is not a, a, a persecution for being obnoxious. Uh, this is not a, a persecution that comes from being a political puppet. Right? Um, this is a persecution that comes from faithfully following Jesus. I mean, last week, 
we spent time in service praying for a group of missionaries that were being held hostage in Haiti. I, I checked this morning. There, there are no updates. They're still being held hostage. Um, each week, I get an email in my inbox from the Voice of the Martyrs that shares stories of persecution from all around the world. Right? Um, I mean, in so many ways, being here in this country, we do not know persecution like our brothers and sisters, right? I think we just need to say that. I, I don't know the sorrow that comes from being drugged out of your home and having watched your family be slaughtered because you got baptized. I, I just don't know that, right? I mean, all I can do is, is sit at the feet of those brothers and sisters in Christ and say, teach me, teach me, teach me. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to minimize, not minifies, that's not a word. I don't want to minimize um, the sorrow that some of you ex have experienced in your life because you've chosen to follow Jesus. For some of you, it has cost you dearly. For some of you, you have broken family relationships because you've chosen to follow Jesus. You've wept many tears. For some of you, you have other relationships that have been broken. For some of you, for many of you, you've been slandered, misrepresented, misunderstood, right? Maybe your name has been drugged through the mud. I, I, I don't know. But the reality of being a disciple of Jesus means suffering. What did Jesus say, right? If they persecuted me, they're going to do what? They're going to persecute you. If they, if they hated me, then they're going to hate you. Being a disciple of Jesus means this. It means that we're never fully at home. Right? Now, when we're here, gathered as the body of Christ, right? Uh, there's a taste of our heavenly home. We're here together. We're safe. We're family. We accept one another. We love one another. We bear with one another. But out in the world, whew, when we leave, goodness, we are never fully home. We're, we're never fully at peace. And that is a reality that brings mourning. It's a reality that brings mourning. Okay, so we answered the first question, who are the mourners? But what about the second question? What about the second question? Why are these mourners joyful? Why are these mourners truly joyful? I think it's safe to say that no one wants to mourn. Uh, while we have seen that mourning can be a good and, and healthy thing, I think we all know that. While we can look back and see what God was doing in, in the midst of our mourning, I mean, no one wants to mourn, right? Hey, let's all go on a trip and, and mourn together. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? No. Um, mourning, mourning has this way of detaching us from people. Um, it has this way um, of, of, of making us feel isolated, right? Uh, in the midst of deep mourning, and maybe some of you have experienced this, it's, it's hard to feel known, 
right? It, it's really hard to feel understood. Um, morning is, is a long, cold, dark night, and, and it feels like the dawn will never rise, right? How about to sit in the weight of how you've hurt others? We talked about that. It's a hard place to be. Um, this is part of the reason that we live in a culture, and I think you would all agree with this, I mean, we live in a culture that is constantly self-medicating. Right? Um, we are constantly trying to numb out, right? Whether that's through a bottle, a TV, a phone, online shopping, gossiping, or just having a full to-do list, right? Having a full calendar, right? But we will do anything. In fact, we will do great harm to ourselves and to other people to avoid what? Mourning. <laughs> to avoid sorrow, right? So, so this is why Jesus' words are so puzzling. They're so unexpected. Think back to the beginning. If you were asked, I'm talking about you, I'm not talking about Sunday school you, but if you were asked to paint a picture of a life of a community that's flourishing and that's filled with deep joy, what would you say? What are the necessary components? What does true life look like? On, on the face of it with a translation, translation, not translation, that's not a word, on the face of it with the translation that I proposed earlier, Jesus' words don't even make sense. Uh, truly joyful are those that mourn. Uh, no one believes that joy is the state of those who are in deep mourning, right? This is why, and I think this is crucial for understanding the Beatitudes, right? Um, this is why the for or the because is so important. It provides an essential explanation. It explains why the paradox is true. Um, do you know what the Old Testament backdrop for this verse is? I'm going to tell you. Don't worry if you don't. It's Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To comfort all who mourn. What's going on here? Well, the, the prophet Isaiah is anticipating an age when God's suffering servant will minister to God's exiled people who are oppressed by their sin and oppressed by their enemy. And so this ancient promise is coming to fruition before our eyes as we read this text. Um, Jesus is saying that the king who comforts is on the scene. The king who comforts has arrived. You see, um, those in the world that have no sorrow over their sin, uh, those in the world who have no need for a savior, those who find their comfort in financial success, ease of life, popularity, power, it may look like it, but they are not experiencing human flourishing. I don't always believe that. Right? I mean, this is a doctrine of faith. But I think it's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, do you want to see human flourishing? Look to those who mourn their brokenness and the brokenness of the world and cry out to Jesus. Well, how is that flourishing, Jesus? Because in their mourning, 
they will experience the comfort of God. You want to see human flourishing? Look to those who mourn because they have lost much, because they've given their lives to follow Jesus. Well, how is that human flourishing? Because in their sorrow, they know the comfort of God. Here is the good news of Jesus Christ for you this morning. Um, You don't need to remove yourself from the brutal realities of the world to experience flourishing. You don't need to remove yourself. You don't need to get out of it in this life. You just need to be met by a savior, by a king who is powerful enough to give you comfort in your morning. This is good news. This is the paradoxical, paradoxical, not paradoxical, that's not a word. This is the good news that Jesus brings because it means what? And I don't always believe this, but it means that our deep happiness is not found in our circumstances. It means that our deep happiness is found in the comfort of Jesus Christ. In the comfort of Jesus Christ Can somebody this morning tell me anything better than the comfort of Jesus Christ? Can somebody tell me anything better than sitting in the presence of Jesus? Has anybody this morning experienced the goodness of Jesus Christ? Has anybody experienced the goodness of knowing a Savior who looks at you and says, your sin has been dealt with? David in the psalm says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. But I acknowledge my sin to you. And you did what? You forgave it, right? Human flourishing doesn't happen when we cover up our sin. We so often think that, don't we? Oh, no one can know this. I can't tell anybody this. Human flourishing happens when we let Jesus cover our sin. When we are washed in the blood of Jesus. Sorrow over sin is a pathway to deep joy. Um, Has anybody experienced the comfort of a Savior who sits with them in their mourning? We have a great high priest who can sympathize with us. We have a great high priest who has shed tears. We have a great high priest who who knows mourning. Jesus looks at us and he says, I've been there. He doesn't comfort us being far off and removed, not knowing our experiences, right? We have a great high priest who sat down at the right hand of God, yes, but he has not left us. Why? Because he says that he's left us an advocate, a helper. Another translation, comforter. Comforter. He is present with us. The reality is, if we can see it through the lenses of Scripture, none of us in this parking lot has ever suffered alone. In all of your suffering, Jesus has been there. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He tells us, I'm here, I know what it's like. Has anyone this morning 
experience the comfort of a Savior who promises that one day there will be no mourning, who holds out that future to us this morning. Um, When it comes to sitting with those who are grieving and suffering, what does everybody say? This is sitting with people who are suffering and grieving 101. People say, don't try to fix it, right? Don't do that. Um, you're not powerful enough to fix it, right? And, and, and we aren't. Um, but guess what? Jesus is. Jesus is. He came into this world to make all things new. And the vision that we get in Revelation 21 is a vision of a bride who is spotless, pure. What does that mean? Jesus has dealt with all of our sin. He's dealt with the sin of the church. And we also see what? We see God wipe tears away from eyes. And he promises what? He promises no more mourning. No more mourning. No more mourning. That is the future that we are headed to. All of us. All of us. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you're in the midst of deep sorrow. But truly joyful are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This is the good life in Jesus Christ. Amen.